Uh, well, welcome today. So glad to have you here. If you're new, my name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here. And we just say to you a special welcome uh, as you join us today. In the very last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us about Jesus' resurrection. And then at the very last paragraph of the entire gospel, Jesus invites all of his, his disciples. He's about to give them this great commission. And this is what Matthew writes. He says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that fascinating? That, that last phrase has always surprised me. How could it be that Jesus' disciples, who had walked with him for three years and who now stood before the risen Jesus in the flesh, how could it be that some of them doubted? Well, when Matthew writes his gospel, he writes it in ancient Greek because, of course, that was the language of the day. And the, and the word that he uses here that we translate doubted is the word distazo, which, which literally means to hold back, to to hesitate. In other words, what Matthew is saying is not that his disciples didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe what he, they saw there. It, what he's saying is that they had hesitations. They had questions. They had doubts. And, and it's fascinating to see how Jesus responds to that. I mean, here he is, the risen Jesus, standing before his disciples, about to give him this, them this great commission to go into all the world and, and make disciples of all nations and, and, and some doubt. So what does Jesus do? Well, well, you would think the natural thing for him to be would be like, okay, you doubt, you just step off to the side over there. You just, you just wait until you sort some of that out. And I'm going to give this, this commission to those who worship, those who really believe, those who know. But he doesn't. Matthew says, right on the heels of, of explaining that, that there were some who doubted, he, he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. And he gives it to both those disciples who just had no doubts, who worshipped him deeply. But the same commission to those who had doubts. Those who had questions. Those who had some hesitation. Apparently, just because you have some struggles and some doubts, doesn't mean that you're disqualified from following Jesus. Even if you're standing in the physical presence of the risen Jesus. Which is important for us to think about. Because sometimes we think that if we have doubts, that that sometimes disqualifies us. Or worse, that we're losing our faith. Sometimes we equate a storm in our faith with a shipwreck. But of course, that would be a wrong understanding of both faith and doubt. A.J. Swoboda writes this, Doubt is not an enemy of faith. Doubt is often the soil of faith, the place where faith is born and where it grows. You see, we often think that when someone comes to faith, that they, they hear about Jesus, they have all these questions and doubts, they answer all the questions and doubts, and then they put their trust in Jesus. Now, maybe, sometimes that happens. But for most people, when they come to faith in Jesus, they, they, 
they find the message of the gospel so attractive. They, they find the, the promise and the hope of Jesus, something that they say, I want that in my life, but they still have some doubts. But, but it's so attractive, they say, yes, but, but this is such a good thing that I, I'm willing to commit to follow Jesus and I hope that I can work these doubts out along the way. And so that's what they do. That's what we do. And it doesn't happen just in our relationship with Jesus. It happens in relationships in general, right? I mean, think about this. You meet somebody that you find incredibly attractive. You say, man, I like that person. And you begin to hang out. You begin to date. And eventually you decide, I think that I want to marry them and spend the rest of my life with them. But I still have some questions that are unanswered. I mean, I don't know absolutely everything about them. But I know enough that, that I'm going to get married and, and then along the way we'll find out. And, and that's what you do. You get married and then you find out things along the way. You find out, for instance, that like your wife steals the covers in the middle of the night. I mean, who would have known, right? But, but you can't know everything before you enter a relationship. If you wait till you know everything, you never enter it. You never get married. People do it in relationships all the time. And it's how it is when it comes to faith in Jesus. See, having doubts is not the same as unbelief. Doubt and uh, faith and unbelief are, are opposites. You, you can't have faith and not, and not believe. But having doubts simply means that you have questions and concerns from within the midst of your faith. In fact, when we have doubts and when we walk through them well, they become the engine, the, the catalyst even in our life that cause us to seek answers, to, to wrestle with the hard things, and ultimately to go deeper in our faith. To have doubts doesn't mean you lose your faith unless you want to. Rather, it's an invitation to trust God more deeply, to know him better. There's this great story in the New Testament uh, that shows what this looks like. It's, it's also a story that takes place after Jesus' resurrection. The Apostle John tells us about it. The, the, when, when Jesus rose from the grave, one day, he, not shortly after he, raising from the grave, he appeared to his disciples. And they were stunned and in awe and amazed and they were thrilled. But one of them wasn't there. A guy named Thomas. Now, we don't know where Thomas was. Maybe he's picking up some milk for the guys. Maybe he's visiting his mom. I mean, we just don't know. But he missed seeing Jesus. And when he came back, all the disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And the Apostle John says that Thomas had a tough time with this. Here's what he tells us. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, and I, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where his nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Now, the question is, Thomas, what, what's going on for you here? Because you did believe. I mean, you followed Jesus for three years. You heard his teachings. You, you watched the crowds. You, you experienced miracles in your own life. You, you saw him perform miracles in other people's lives. You were all in, Thomas. But now something has happened. And now, and now you're saying that, that, that you have all these doubts. So, so what is it? See, those who study doubt, uh, the, the issue of doubt say there's really three sources of doubt in a person's life. 
The first source of doubt in a person's life is cognitive dissonance. In other words, there's this tension in our minds about what, what the Bible says and, and the way that we think things actually are. So for instance, blind people don't typically get their sight back just because somebody prays for them. Lame people don't typically just stand up and walk if somebody speaks a word to them. And dead people don't typically rise from the grave. But there's other cognitive dissonance that we have as well. How can a good and a loving God send people to hell? How can a God who cares deeply about each individual allow so much pain and suffering in the world? And this kind of tension in our thinking causes us to have doubts. And it means that the kind of answers that we need are carefully thought through logical, often sort of academic answers to these kinds of questions that come into our life. It's one of the main sources of doubt. But it's not the only source. A second source of doubt in our lives, and, and one that is quite common for people, grows out of our experiences. And, and there are really two types of experiences that cause us to doubt. One is unmet expectations. You know, we, we follow God, we serve God, we give our life to God, and we expect that certain things will happen. And when they don't, it causes us doubt. We expect, like, I follow you, Jesus, faithfully, and I'd love to be married, and I've waited for years and years, and I'm not married. Or, or I prayed for a loved one, or I prayed for myself over a health issue. I prayed so earnestly and deeply and with such trust, and yet you haven't healed them. I, I, I didn't expect that. Or, or, or I've been faithful, God, and I thought my life would get easier, but it seems just as hard as it was before. And we have these unmet expectations that cause us all kinds of questions in our life. The other experience that we have that causes doubt is a crisis. You know, we walk through a divorce or we lose our job or we have a midlife crisis or somebody that we love dies. And out of that experience, out of both of those experiences, we experience all kinds of emotions. Fear, pain, hurt, anger, frustration, sorrow, all very legitimate emotions. But but the kind of emotions that lead us to questions like, God, where are you? God, how could you allow this to happen in my life? God, don't you care? And when we experience these kinds of doubts and these kinds of questions, the kind of solutions, the kind of answers that we need to, to deal with our doubts are not so much academic in nature as they are theological, as they are questions that answer about who God is. And how God acts in this world and, and how he sees us and how we should see ourselves in light of who he is. And we need those kinds of answers for those kinds of doubts. It's the second kind of doubt that comes into our life. But, but then there's a third place that doubts arise in our lives. And that comes when, uh, from our desires. Sometimes we doubt because we want to. Now we don't tell ourselves that. But we doubt because we want to be free from the kind of Things that God calls us to. Tony Campolo, a famous sociology professor at a large university in the United States, was an outspoken Christian on campus. And he tells the story of how one day a young Christian man came to see him and told him that he'd been having a crisis of faith for six months. He wasn't sure if he believed in God anymore. And Tony Campolo said, without skipping a beat and led by the Holy Spirit, he said to him, when did you start sleeping with your girlfriend? And the young man looked at him and said, well, I didn't tell you I was sleeping with my girlfriend. And what, what does this have to do with anything? 
But as they talked some more, it turned out that he confessed that he started sleeping with his girlfriend about two months before he began to have all of these doubts. And it it turned out that his doubt was not so much an issue with God, who God is, how God acts. The issue was his own. He wanted to be free to do what he wanted to do without God interfering in his life. And so he was projecting his issues on God. But the real issue was him. And sometimes we have doubts because of that. And the, and the solution to those kinds of doubts is not an academic answer. An academic answer would never answer that thing. Or a theological answer. The issue for that is one of repentance. Saying, God, I'm going to follow you. I, I, I have to repent of what I'm doing. You see, if you're struggling with doubt, if you're wrestling with questions, that sort of sense of self-awareness is a very important thing. For you to be able to track back and say, Where exactly are these doubts coming from? Because where they're coming from will help me know the kind of answers that I need to seek in my life. In the case of Thomas, the Bible doesn't actually tell us what caused his his doubt, but it's unlikely that it's that he wanted to live, you know, in a different way. Maybe it was more cognitive dissonance. It's not like every day that somebody dies and, and rises again, but... But you have to remember that Thomas saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He saw Jesus do all kinds of miracles. Most likely, for Thomas, it was doubts arising out of his experience. Out of, out of watching his, his, his Lord, I mean, his rabbi, his teacher die. And this unmet expectations. He thought that Jesus was going to be the, the political ruler of Israel. And, and, and so he has these disappointment. And this fear and this anger that would have led him to this deep sense of doubt. Even though his buddies tell him, oh no, we've seen Jesus alive. And so because he has that kind of doubt, he makes a demand. He says, unless Jesus shows up here in the flesh and allows me to touch his hands and touch his side, I won't believe. Which is interesting. I mean, sometimes when we have doubts, we make all kinds of demands on God. Unless God does this, unless he solves this, unless he does this, I won't believe. That's what Thomas does. So, how does Jesus respond to that demand? Well, look at what John says next. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. A week later, Thomas is in, the, in the, the biggest crisis of faith of his entire life. He, he's lost. He's, he's struggling. He's not sure that he believes anything about Jesus anymore. And Jesus leaves him hanging for a week. I mean, where was Jesus for that week? What was he doing? Jesus, the man is in a crisis. Why wouldn't you come right away? Simply, simply solve it for him. But Jesus doesn't do that. We sometimes think that when we struggle, when we have doubts, when we, when we suffer, that God is obligated to show up and to relieve the pain instantaneously because that's what he would do if he's a good God. But you know, he's not obligated to do any of that. In fact, sometimes because of his compassion, sometimes because of his deep love for us, he will allow us to stew in our in our doubts. He, he will allow us to wrestle with them for a while because he wants us to go deeper. 
He wants us to be ready when finally he brings the kind of solution in our life that we are ready to embrace it and be like, yes, okay, I get it. Jesus makes Thomas wait for a week. And where is Thomas during this week? What's he doing? Who's he hanging out with? And the answer is he's hanging out with the other disciples. He's hanging out with other people who have faith. You know, sometimes these days in our culture, there's this sort, of, this, sort of, this sort of whisper that says, look, if there is a God, we're not sure, but if there is a God, the, 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 the best place you can find him is really anywhere but the church. You can find him in the woods or, or through social activism or, or in silence. And sometimes even Christians have this mindset that says, look, I I love Jesus. I listen to my podcast. I pray. I follow Jesus. But church isn't really my thing. And somehow in this part of the world, we've come to, 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 to replace the bad idea that God could only be found in the church, to replace that bad idea with just as bad an idea that he can be found anywhere except the church. One of the best ways to find God is to walk together in community with others who are also seeking him. And one of the best places to be when you're struggling with your doubts is among others who have faith. There's this uh, fascinating story. This fascinating story in Jesus' life. One day he's teaching. He's inside a house. The place is so packed. It's so packed that people are spilled outside and you can't possibly get in. But there's a couple of guys who have a, a friend of theirs who's paralytic. And they, they want this man to, to come to Jesus and, and to meet Jesus and to be healed by Jesus. And so they literally climb on the roof of the house. The roofs in that day were flat. And they began to dig through the roof till there was a hole. And then they began to lower their, their paralytic friend down before Jesus. And Matthew says this about this experience. It says that when they... The, the roof opened and they began to lower down. Jesus, Jesus looked, lifted up his eyes and says, and Jesus saw their faith. Who, whose faith? Who, whose faith did Jesus see? The answer was not the paralytics. He saw the faith of their friends. And because of the faith of their friends, he healed the paralytic. You know, sometimes when you struggle with your faith, when it feels like you're stuck and you can't move because of the questions, because of the doubts, because of what's going on in your life, sometimes the best place to be is with other believers who will lend you their faith, who will strengthen you as you wrestle through that. Being with others who follow Jesus is a good place to be when you have doubts. Now, unfortunately, that hasn't always been the case in the church. It's not always the case in every church. You know, sometimes the... sometimes. Not always, but sometimes, especially in super conservative churches, theologically conservative, the, the really some would call them fundamentalist churches. Some, sometimes in those kinds of churches, there's a sense like you shouldn't have doubts or questions because it's a sign that you don't have enough faith. So we're not talking about that here. But, but clearly that, that, that's just wishful thinking. I mean, even the disciples who stood in the physical presence of the risen Jesus, they had some questions and doubts. So so to say you shouldn't just isn't true. And imagine if Thomas was in that kind of a church. Wouldn't have been a good place for him to be. On the other extreme, there are sometimes churches that often, not always, but sometimes they're sort of super liberal churches that would say, well, you must doubt. You're expected to doubt. 
And, and if, you, if you don't have doubts, then you're not evolved enough. You're not progressive enough. And, and in fact, they almost seem to celebrate if you abandon pretty much everything about Jesus except for the most shallow expression of who he is. You know, here at our church, here at Ridge Church, we don't want to be either of those extremes. We, we want our church to be a safe place where you can run with us and have doubts and wrestle with questions and, and, and struggle through your, your issues about God from within your faith. But not so that you end up abandoning your faith. Not so that you end up with unbelief, but so that you go deeper. So when you come out on the other side, you say, okay, I'm settled. I'm good. Here I go. And so if that's you, if you struggle, you just need to know you're so welcome here. Oswald Chambers once wrote this, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he or she is thinking. Yeah, it's good to think. And in the short little book of Jude, which is just near the end of the New Testament, Jude writes this, be merciful to those who doubt. This is the call. Come, run with us, doubt with us if you need to. It's part of the process of faith. Thomas is hanging with his buddies when Jesus arrives. And Jesus enters the room, and after he's saying to all the guys, hey, cool, be cool, everything's good, what's the first thing he does? He walks right over to, to Thomas, and he says this, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You know, now Jesus comes to Thomas after he's had all this time to kind of wrestle and struggle. And now he gives him evidence for his resurrection. Because you see, faith, true faith, is built on evidence. Now, sometimes people get that wrong. They, they mistake it. They say, no, no, faith is about not evidence. That's not right. I mean, Richard Dawkins, famous atheist, he gets it wrong. Here's what he says. He says, faith is the great cop-out. The great excuse to evade the need to think and to evaluate evidence. Faith is the, is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, a lack of evidence. That's not faith. I mean, whoever does that, that's just plain stupidity. No, no. Faith, faith is trusting in what you have good evidence to believe. You know, one of my, uh, one of my best friends uh, uh, is a guy named Darren. Uh, he's from Calgary. We hung out there uh, in my late 20s quite a bit before I moved out here. Uh, him, Darren, myself, and another buddy. And Darren's such a good guy. I mean, he's incredible. He, he, he works in the movie industry. Uh, he's just so casual. He wears jeans and a t-shirt. And if he ever gets super dressed up, like if he ever's like, whoa, he's going out, get dressed up, he puts a, a sweater over top of his t-shirt and jeans. Um, and, um, and we hung out for a, a, a number of years, often at my parents' house, sometimes at my buddy's parents' house, but never at his parents' house because his parents lived in a small town in central Alberta. Uh, or at least that's what he told us. But over the, because over the course of a, of a number of years, over the course of a number of years, we never met his parents, even though we hung out all the time. And they'd come to town and they'd visit him and, 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 and then they'd go again and we'd miss them. Apparently we'd miss them. And we began to tease and we began to say like, I don't think you actually have parents because we've never met these people. They, 
We miss them. And they live in a little town called Rimby, like really. And we've just given them a bad time. So finally, he, he shows us a picture. He says, here's my parents. And we look at it like, well, anyone can download a picture of a couple of old people off the Internet. I mean, they look vaguely like you, but that's no guarantee. And we gave him such a bad time. He finally said, well, come. Come up to Rimby for a weekend with me. So we said, okay. So we drove up to, to Rimby a couple hours with him, and we arrived at this beautiful home, and we met his, the, these wonderful people. Beautiful. He, he gave a hug. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. They, they were wonderful, except that we realized that, that he works in the movie industry and quite high up. And he's responsible for location managers who can rent houses to shoot movies in. And he's also responsible for casting directors who know how to choose good actors who look like they're related. And we began to be suspicious. And then we walked down the hallway in his house or the house of his parents. And there was a picture of him on the wall wearing a suit and a tie. And in that moment, we knew it's all a fake because you know what? We've never seen him wear a suit and tie. He's like, no, no, no. It's my grad picture. It's my grad picture. Sure it is. Now, of course, we're just giving him a bad time. His parents were amazing people. We had a great weekend. But the fact of the matter is, he can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're his parents. A birth certificate. Well, you can get one of those made up. Well, a paternity test. You can doctor that. You see, we have faith about all kinds of things that we can't prove beyond a shadow of doubt, but it's based on good, solid evidence. And, and when it comes uh, to God and, and the resurrection, there is easily as much evidence for God and, and the resurrection of Jesus as there is for there being no God and no resurrection. It's a matter of faith. And both positions are based upon evidence, upon carefully thinking about the evidence that is out there. And for everyone, no matter what position they take, they require faith. And just because somebody asks you a hard question, maybe a question you don't have the answer for about Jesus or about the Bible, or maybe they've asked a question that you've never thought about before, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean that you should instantly have doubts. I mean, sometimes people say, oh, no, I never thought about that. Oh, well, maybe, maybe it's all an illusion. Maybe my faith is, is intellectually untenable. Maybe, maybe I've committed you know, intellectual suicide by becoming a Christian. Maybe it all is going to deflate because of a couple of questions. But if you have that kind of doubts, chances are that the, the Christian faith, which is practiced by billions of people around the globe and, and has withstood the hardest questions for 2,000 years, chances are the problem isn't with faith of, of following Jesus. Chances are the problem is you. You haven't thought carefully enough about it. You haven't researched deep enough. You haven't, haven't looked because there are good answers. The book of Proverbs says this. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. In other words, there are good answers. Solid answers for the questions that you have. Now, that doesn't mean that every question will be thoroughly answered the way you want it. Not when it comes to God. I mean... It, God, by his very definition, is greater than us. You're never going to be able to explain everything that God does and why he does it and how he does it, because if you could, you'd be greater than God. 
which wouldn't make him a God worthy of worshiping. So you won't have an absolute answer to everything. But there are good, thoughtful, solid, reasonable answers on which to build a solid faith. And Jesus says, look, when you explore those things, when you see that evidence, when you get enough that you can build a solid faith, then stop doubting and believe. At some point, you can't know it all. At some point, everybody, no matter what they hold about the big questions of life, have to have faith. And this is what Thomas does. This is what Thomas does. He sees the evidence now. He's stood at. Here's, here's what he says in verse 27. Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Fascinating, right? Thomas goes from originally believing in Jesus when he followed him for three years, saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is my, you know, my, my guy. I'm going to follow him to this crisis of faith where he doubts everything. But he still runs with other believers in Jesus to this place where he stews. He stews for a while. He, he wrestles with it. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. To the place where he finds this evidence. To the place where his faith now goes much deeper. I mean, before this, he referred to Jesus as teacher and rabbi. And now after having walked through the doubt, he says, my Lord and my God. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of walking well through doubt. He still doesn't have all of his questions answered. He never will until that day that he stands before God in glory. But he grew through his doubts. His doubts weren't his enemy. His doubts were the catalyst, the, the, the driver, the engine for a deeper, richer, more beautiful, more meaningful faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, according to tradition, according to tradition, when Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, on that mountain, when, when some worshipped and some doubted, Thomas went probably the furthest distance of any of the disciples. He went to the southern part of India. And to this day, millions upon millions upon millions of people in the subcontinent of India can trace their faith in Jesus back to the testimony and the witness of a disciple named Thomas, who is known as Doubting Thomas. It's a brilliant picture of what happens when we walk through doubt well. Now, this is how Jesus ends his interaction with Thomas. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. That's us. Blessed are we who have not seen and yet believed. You know, a couple, of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Nula and I and our kids had the chance to go on a holiday to Hawaii. We went to the Big Island. Uh, the Big Island uh, is made up of, uh, learned of uh, several different volcanoes, but really two massive volcanoes, uh, both that are about 13,000 feet above sea level. And uh, we could never see the top of them because they were covered in, in clouds all the time, the entire time they were there. That's how high they were. But we were told that on the top of one of those volcanoes was about 12 or 13 uh, telescopes, uh, observatories, because the sky was so brilliant. The stars were so clear from up there. You could see forever. And there's a place where you could go up and look. And so the last day that we were on the island, we wanted to go up there, but the clouds had never lifted. 
In fact, it was raining. And by the time, you know, it, 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 was, it was dark. And we were going down the main road. And we came to this tiny little road that turned off the highway that said this way up the mountain to the place where you can look. We're like, oh, man, are we going to do this? We're tired. It was cold. We were wet. We said, okay. And we turned off the main highway in this tiny, dark little road. Couldn't see anything above us. And the road just wound up the mountains and these sharp turns and these, suddenly these gates. And, and all that we could possibly see was just what was illuminated in the headlights in front of us. And we had no idea where we were going, just that someone had said it's worth it. And as we climbed, instead of it getting better, it got foggier and darker. And we were in the midst of this fog where we could barely see where we were going, except for that the road would turn this way. So we'd go this way and then it would go this way. And, and so we kept going until all of a sudden we glimpsed and we could, see, we could see the sky, we could see the stars. And then they disappeared again. Like, oh, no. But we kept going. Until all of a sudden the fog disappeared and we came out above the clouds. And suddenly the night sky, I mean, it was brilliant. There was a billion stars that you could see. And there was this little place where you could stop. And we stopped and there were all these people there. Everyone gazing at the stars. And there was this astronomer lady there who pointed out, like, there's Venus. And there's Mars. And there's the Milky Way and, and the North Star. And she pointed out, she said, see that there? Right there, new stars are being born. And it was brilliant. It was breathtaking. For somebody who believes in God, the skies declared the glory and the majesty of a God who created this universe. It was, it was stunning. But you know that, that, that journey up the mountain is kind of a picture of faith. We didn't get to see it all. We didn't see the whole landscape. We didn't even know where we were going. We just followed this path. A path that was well-worn. I mean, there was many who had gone before us, but sometimes it curved this way, and sometimes it curved that way, and sometimes it got dark, and sometimes it was difficult to see, and sometimes we weren't sure it was such a wise thing to do. But we just kept going. And at the end, man, it was so beautiful. And this is what Jesus says to you and to me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. There is a reward. There is a blessing for us, even though we haven't personally seen the risen Savior. There's a glory that awaits us as we carry on in our faith. But along the way, we have to deal with some of the doubts. And so over the next about five weeks, we're going to walk through a series called shadows. We're going to talk about some of those doubts that kind of play in the shadows. We're going to bring them into the light and take a good look at them and talk about them. And, and we're not going to answer every question that's out there, but we are going to answer a number of them to show, again, not an ironclad proof. As we talked about, there is no such thing as an ironclad proof, but we're going to show. There's good, reasonable, logical, thoughtful reasons to have a solid faith in God. And along the way, we want to give you an opportunity to ask a bunch of questions. Uh, we're not answering everything from during the sermon. But if you have some questions, there's going to be a, a QR code that you can uh, respond to. There's going to be uh, a, a box at the back in the, in the, in the lobby if you, you like pencil and paper. Um, or on the website, there'll be a place where you can submit questions. And we're going to collate all of those questions. And at the end, we're going to talk and say, here's some of the questions that came up. Let's answer those questions for you. So if you have questions... 
along the way. Please fire them in. Don't worry, we'll get to them down the road. But let's talk about the doubts that God or that, that we struggle with and bring them before God and allow him to speak to us. All right, it's going to be a great series. Hope you join us as we travel this, uh, this road. Would you uh, bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we come to you today. God, as people who are finite, people who, who don't know everything, who can't possibly know everything, but who want to follow after you or who are seeking after you or who are exploring what it means to know you. And yet, God, you know, we have doubts, we have questions. And Lord, we thank you that you don't, you don't criticize us for those doubts. You don't cast us out. You don't think that therefore, you know, we're lost. But God, you, you love us so deeply. You say, come, let's talk. Let, let, let's explore. Let's see. And so, and so God, would you cause us as we wrestle with our doubts, as we walk through them, would you cause us to go deeper with you, to know you better, to love you more, to live more fully for you because we've wrestled with them and because we see that you're such a good God. And so we invite you to speak into our life again. We invite you to walk with us. Uh, God, we invite you to teach us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being here. I hope that you are encouraged as we continue to follow after God together. Uh, Jude, in his letter, at one point, near the end, he says, be merciful to those who doubt. And then just two sentences later, he ends it this way. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.